The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, I'm Matt Lieb. And I'm Vince Mancini. And this is Pod Yourself The Wire. A The Wire podcast where Vince Mancini and I go through every single episode of The Wire and, and talk, talk about, about the wire uh-huh. the wire that yeah. is uh thank you for coming back to our very first episode of uh our rewatch podcast about the wire for those of you who don't know um vince mancini and i have uh previously done a very successful podcast about the sopranos called pot yourself a gun so many people and are saying people are talking so many about people it. are saying people can't talk about talking it. about it in variety they talked about it in um there was like another one uh-huh. new york times um and yeah but then we ran out of sopranos episodes and we said well what's what's the second best tv show ever made <laughs> and we decided it was the sopranos is the second best and the first best is the wire mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that's why we decided to start the wire podcast i'm very excited uh, this will take a long time to get through all of these um, this first season is going to be a real roller coaster because I got a baby coming. Um, and and uh, my hope is that we can get this entire first season out we to get, you before we get, uh, we the get baby Kima comes. Greg's over here, torn between <laughs> his familial <laughs> duties and uh, you know public s- servantry. Oh man, dude, I am the Kima Greg's of this podcast. Yeah, uh, Kimo Greg's. In that, in that, I am the prettiest. Mm. And I am not the greatest actor, but I'm good enough. But you got one move that you do a lot. Yeah, one move, which is like, mm. it's just like, yeah, she's a scoffer. She's, she's good at big, scoffing. Yeah, though. yeah, she's like a, a leaky tire. Absolutely. She is a leaky tire. All right, so let's bring in our guest. Uh, for our very first guest, we Who's decided guest? to go... We decided to go uh, what, just in the fam, in the oh, yeah. Pod Yourself fam. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so our first guest, you know him as the producer of Pod Yourself a Gun, a Sopranos podcast, and the producer of Pod Yourself the Wire, a The Wire podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Brent Flyberg is here. 
Hey, you got that's right. They got me, guys. It was a big get for them, but they mm-hmm. got they got me the producer. I'm I'm yeah. thrilled to be here talking about it was wires. either it was you or David Simon, and you know <laughs> we decided no nah, fuck David Simon. Yeah, like that What's dude. He, that dude is an idiot. What's he done? We got to get someone. We got to get someone who knows about the wire. Not some. Does he does he guy. do podcasts? Would he be a fun podcast guest? We can find I bet out. He would, yeah, dude, I'd I, I bet out. he would be good. Yeah. Dude, uh, he he uh, quote tweeted you recently, Vince. Yeah, yeah. And Talking I, about I noticed, yeah, it was like you guys had a waffle debate going mm-hmm. on. It seems like he didn't call you a shitbird, so I feel like no. you're in his good <laughs> or, graces. Uh, or uh, like be shitted clown fuck or like a... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Turdunculus carbuncle. He's got a lot of like vulgar swears that I've never mm-hmm. heard before where you'll yeah. just be like, you know, eat shit clown dick and you're just like clown dick. <laughs> what? Where did he come up? Where does he come up with this stuff? That's why yeah, it's um, usually like like a four syllable adjective and then a noun and a swear yeah. word. Mm-hmm. So it'll be like yeah. preposterous ass dick. <laughs> yeah. Sore and preposterous ass dick. Fuck lobster. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he's, you know, you can tell that he's going off the top of his head because not a lot of it, you can tell there's not a lot of thought because if you put it two seconds into it, you're just like, I don't know what he means by, you know, yeah, fucking but still lobs- lobster anus, you know? Yeah, it's still sure. impressive because when still I just ab- tried to do it, what I came up with was preposterous ass dick. And <laughs> no, it's it was hard. <laughs> Look, no, still yeah, a great man that we hope to have on this very podcast one day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we really do, and we David. Will soon, as soon as we, we stop will. making fun of him, we're not ma- even making fun of him. I, I'm saying I respect the fact that this man has been able to invent new swears for the past like 20 years, and uh, I don't know. It's like that's a skill. Yeah, I, I just go yeah. with the same ones. Yep. I just you know I'm just I just call Vince Mister Gay. He doesn't <laughs> like it, and I will get canceled so, for it. So happy. Yeah, but uh, and also Mister because it's a sign of respect. That's right. Um, <laughs> so we do, as they would say in Japan. Sure. Um, real quick, let's just talk uh, about the our favorite characters uh, on the wire. Um, do you have Brent Flyberg a favorite character that you feel like you maybe relate to more than anyone? It can be anyone from any of the five seasons. That. Oh man, that's tough. Cause I'd love to. I'd love to say McNulty. Cause there's part of like McNulty's like I'm a little stinker attitude that I love. But <laughs> uh-huh. if I'm if I'm being really honest with myself, I'm probably Prez Belushi. I like. I'm just like. Oh it, oh yeah. Him as a cop is kind of like I would be. Ex- not to spoil anything. Pre- accidentally shooting guns. Yeah, Prez Belushi. Prez Belushi, excuse me. Yeah, Prez Belushi is when uh, when uh, Jim Belushi was running for president for that second. <laughs> that was a different <laughs> different guy. Um, yeah, I relate to Prez Belushi a lot too. Yeah. Mostly in that I feel like if I were given a gun, I would use it for evil and not good, mm-hmm. and then yeah. I would have. I'm to I'm always saying that teacher. you th- you think like a Pollock too, so. <laughs> Yeah, you do. You say that all the time. Yeah, it says it a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this isn't a podcast about Pollock. Well, it kind of is. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, Vince. What about you? What is your favorite? Oh, I thought uh, we were character? asking everybody their favorite character. <laughs> yeah, sure. I don't know. I got bored. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, all right. <laughs> no, no, no. I would like to know. I think it's Lester Freeman. 
He hasn't been introduced yet, mm, yeah. so maybe that's a spoiler alert, but uh, that's a that's solid, many-faceted yeah. character. You know, he's not the he's not the one that jumps out at you right away like your Kramer of The Wire. Sure. But, uh, you know, he's got levels. He's got layers. He's like an mm. onion. Uh, he's he's making model. He's making dollhouses and yeah. fucking bitches, you know? Like, he's... Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> I mean, those well, are so wait, the main who, two things, I guess, but... Who is the Kramer, then, of... Uh, of the wire. Of the wire. I mean, it's it's got to be Ziggy, right? I yeah. Nobody I guess likes so. Ziggy. I feel like people like Omar. I feel like everybody loves Omar, and that's a good yeah. solid choice, you know. But uh, yeah, and Omar yeah. does just kind of show up in people's houses unannounced in <laughs> yeah. the same way, and kind of take your stuff without asking. That's right. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. They are very and similar. I could imagine. Yeah, I could imagine a, a Seinfeld episode where where someone sees. Kramer coming and starts being like, Kramer coming! Kramer's coming! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kramer coming! <laughs> Everybody's hiding uh, their although, jackets. Absolutely. This is not a Seinfeld podcast. No, this is a The Wire podcast. And of course, we cannot start this podcast without first playing the theme song. If you Pod. To the garden. You better watch your back. Pod. Pod. Podcast. Pod. The wire. You gotta keep the devil. Pod. Pod. This took so much work. Pod. Pod. Podcast. All right. Ladies and gentlemen and everyone else, today on Pod Yourself the Wire, we are going to be talking about from season one of The Wire, episode one, The Target, which uh, premiered on June 2nd, 2002. Vince, could you please do us the honor of breaking us off a little piece of that synopsis? Wait, did you write the synopsis or is this an official synopsis? It's not an official synopsis. I wrote it because the official synopses, I couldn't find one that wasn't long as shit. So I that's uh, read, that's I don't want to read your takes on it. What do people <laughs> care about what you think? No, read it, dude. This is dumb. Read it. This is no, not, read it. Jimmy McNulty <laughs> is tired of black crime. That is not what is happening. That is in this what the episode is about. No, it's about it him being not. tired of black crime and being <laughs> like, man, these black guys keep getting away with it. He's tired of government dysfunction in the police department. He's tired of black crime. He sees black crime. He doesn't like black crime. No, yeah, I uh, I don't actually have a, a a synopsis for this. I I, I looked. Do you want me to to paste a synopsis that I got from IMDb? Whatever you want. I don't think the synopsis is really what people listen let me, to. Let me let me paste but... the synopsis right here. I'm gonna paste it right into the doc so that you can read the synopsis so and you can pasty. Go ahead. Baltimore detective Jimmy McNulty finds himself in hot water with his superior major, William Rawls, after a drug dealer, D'Angelo Barksdale, who was charged with three murders, is acquitted. 
McNulty knows the judge in question, and although it's not his case, he's called into chambers to explain what happened. Obviously, key witnesses recanted their police statement on the stand, but McNulty doesn't underplay Barksdale's role in at least seven other murders. When the judge raises his concerns, uh, sick, I didn't, you know, you know that, that, that was in there. Sure. Uh, at the senior levels of the police department, they have a new investigation on their dot, dot, dot. I mean, it's a lot. Yeah, I didn't even... There's an ellipsis there. I'm going to say it's hands. They have a new investigation on their hands. Yeah, I bet it's hands in like eight more sentences. Um, So, yeah, maybe for this podcast, we won't have synopses. And uh, we'll just do, you know, like a quick... uh, Hey, this is the episode uh, about The Wire where The Wire happens. Mm -hmm. That is fitting, though, that for The Wire, the synopsis is like, this is the best we can do. There's just... There's so many... There's so many guys, and they're doing so much stuff. so many levels to this. Yeah. There's like eight million stories going on at once, and you can't really describe it one sentence, except Mm -hmm. for Jimmy McNulty is tired of black crime. (laughs) Moving on. So, uh, yeah. So that's what this episode is about. Um, But Vince... What was happening at the time that this episode came out? That's right, Matt. I think what you're trying to say is that in order to evaluate any art, we need the cultural context in which that art was created. And to give us some of that cultural context, we we like to take a trip back on a little thing that we like to call the the back-in-the-day machine. Sure. It's a bad time for newspapers, as you all know. The news hole is shrinking as advertising dollars continue to decline. And the internet is a free source of news and opinions. Machine tells the tale, son. Ah, Mm -hmm. how about that? Hey, yeah, that was, yep, super relevant. Uh, We're going all the way back (laughs) to when The Wire premiered June 2nd, 2002. Mm -hmm. At least five years before I actually watched the show. Uh, oh yeah, but uh, some of the things that were happening uh, on on that day. Here's a headline from the New York Post: W to cadets, be ready to fight. President Bush issued a call to arms for the nation's newest soldiers yesterday, saying America must strike first to banish quote the dark threat of terror from the world. Oh quote, if, shit! If we wait for threats to fully materialize, we will have waited too long. Bush told West Point cadets as the storied academy graduated its first class since the September 11th attacks. We mm-hmm. must take the battle to the enemy, disrupt his plans, and confront the worst threats before they emerge. Bush said, "Absolutely, dude. That's good. I mean, because it's like we can't sit around and wait for something to happen, dude. We don't want the smoking gun to be a mushroom cloud. That's right. From whatever, no, you, from or what a mushroom tip." Yeah, we don't you want know, it to be a dick. That's it's right. It's going drip, drip, drip. Yep. Bush never named Iraq as he updated the nation on the war against terror, but his call for America to strike first made it clear that he is still targeting Saddam Hussein in case anyone had doubts. Like, this is, it's a very uh, Cobra Kai, this entire mm-hmm. speech. Mm-hmm. You know, strike first, like, we must, strike hard, no mercy. That's right. It's about striking first. And um, you know what? I feel like Cobra Kai is a good show. It's a pretty so, good show, yeah. Mostly, so they were, he, he was right. Yeah, <laughs> only when it's focused on Johnny Lawrence, I think he's the backbone of that show. And when they get, oh, absolutely, they get too far into the teen drama sometimes, and you're like, ah, I don't know about this teeny bopper shit. Tell me about the washed up karate man. I like watching kids fight and kiss, though. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay, but- let me explain. Let me. I'll <laughs> rephrase. I like watching teen melodrama 
mm. not for any horny reasons, but just because uh -huh. I feel like it's, uh, it's you know, it reminds me of when I was in high school in sure. karate class. That's sure. right. Um, other news, oil can, new clue in Blake murder. Remember that, Robert Blake? <laughs> oh, uh, cops have recovered yeah. an empty can of motor oil that may have been used by the killer of Robert Blake's wife to help obscure incriminating fingerprints, according to the actor's lawyer and private investigator. Uh, Blake, mm -hmm. star of the 1970s TV show Beretta, main, remains in jail without ba bail, accused of using a vintage German-made pistol to kill Bonnie Lee Bakley on March 4th, 2001. Uh, if, you, if you don't remember how this went down... Um, the, he went to the dinner Saudis with his wife, did it. he went mm -hmm. to dinner with his wife and his, what he said what happened was that he had to go back inside the restaurant to find his gun that he accidentally yeah, left he, inside the restaurant and gun. someone else right. came by and shot his wife in the head while he was in the restaurant trying to find his gun again, which you know, I, well, couldn't, it's have, couldn't have been him. He didn't have his gun. It's honestly just like, it's, it's like you guys have never experienced a coincidence before and <laughs> it's really telling. Because this these things happen, dude. Happens uh, all the that time. Is, that is classic lying strategies. Like lie as little as you have to. So it's like, yeah, yeah, right. yeah I went back in for my gun because obviously I I have the gun. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. I, you're probably wondering why I have this gun on me and my wife's dead with a bullet in her head. Well, I'll tell you, it's not what it looks like. <laughs> and people said, oh shit, that's crazy. It's probably and, not. And do you? I why I was like I don't know, fifteen, sixteen when this happened. And I remember it was a huge news story, and I guess mm -hmm. because he was a famous person who murdered someone. Is that it? Was there something no. else? Yeah, it? I actually just listened to a podcast about uh, the Bonnie Lee Bakley case because I kind of sort of remembered it, but not really. Um, it's kind of funny because they do the thing that you do with podcasts now where it's like, we're going to go back and see why the media demonized this, this poor uh, famous woman so much. And then like... And then you listen to the actual podcast and it's like, oh yeah, everything they reported at the time was totally true. Like her job, her job was uh, like sending like nude pictures to lonely guys and then would like, you know, use them to get them to send her money and stuff. And then she yeah, like, so she was like, she, she was up like with a... Robert Blake and Robert Blake immediately was like, okay, I don't want any kids. Like he, you have to right. show me that not only your birth control pack packets but like that you've taken them um and while they were screwing she was actually taking uh like injections to make herself more fertile and like passing off some fake pills as birth control pills so then she did get pregnant which was the exact thing that he told her not to do and then uh and then he was like worried that she was going to take the kid and he wanted to take the kid and yeah and then and then he Wait, killed so her, now obviously. he wants the kid yeah, he now wanted he wants the kid. The kid? Yeah, once she had it, he wanted it. He was like, "Babies are cool now." Um, and then, uh, dude, that is just like a man to be like, "I don't want kids." And then, as soon as the kid shows up, they're like, "That's mine now." Mine now. Yeah. yeah. So uh, definitely killed I mean, her. And then sounds uh, like she was like, just like an early adopter OnlyFans person. So she seems cool enough. Yeah, only scams. Yeah, she, she had an only scam. So, and she then was scamming. Uh, Wait, how did this? Scam it wasn't work? a scam. How was it a scam? She was like a well, professional scammer. Like she was, she like tried to tell. She tried to tell Christian Brando, who she was also seeing at the time, that it was actually his baby. Uh, and she like oh. she named she named it Christian Brando something or other. Like when it came out, um, is this uh, uh, Marlon Brando? Marlon relations? Brando's drug-addled son. Yeah. Hmm. 
Oh, so anyway, shit. so Robert Blake actually got a- acquitted and is also still alive to this day. But uh, he and just like out and about, just out. Well, out, I think he's just holed up in an apartment right. somewhere. He lost all his money in the subsequent uh, civil trial. OJ like got it. Got and, it. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's too bad because he clearly didn't do it. <laughs> How the fuck did he get off? Well, people thought the uh, excuse about thinking he went back inside for his gun was was credible. Literally, no, I think he he got off because there were like a lot of other people that had uh, were mad at her and like Christian Brando w- had said like someone is going to shoot her one day or something like that. And you yeah. know, I, I'm starting to think based <laughs> on this thing. show. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, I'm starting to think based on watching The Wire and hearing about the news at the time that um, our criminal justice system might be a little bit dysfunctional. Yeah, it has some flaws. Mm, some might say. Uh, last no. news story, media talk, Maxim's new venture in men's hair coloring. Yes. On its cover okay. every month, Maxim magazine plainly promises the same thing. Sex, sports, beer, gadgets, clothes, fitness. Some of my favorite shit. Uh-huh. Yeah, dude, I love all those, especially gadgets. <laughs> Beginning this week, however, the editors of the monstrously successful men's magazine might want to add a hair color. Oh, the good. Ma- yeah, the owners, the magazine's owner, Dennis Publishing, in a collaboration with Comb, maker of Just for Men hair color, is extending the brand of Maxim to its hair care products. Maxim magazine hair care, as the news release modestly proclaims, is giving guys the opportunity to have an edgy look that is no longer relegated to just the stage or movie screen. Okay. So you can have, like, blue hair. (laughs) Four versions of the youth-oriented frosted hair dye will reach thousands of stores this week. Bleach Blonde, Sandstorm, Black Jack, and Red Rum. We did a lot of research, said Michael Wendroff, vice president for hair color marketing at Comb. Young guys are already entering the market, but they didn't want to enter a salon or use a woman's hair care product. Yeah, that would be lame. (laughs) They would use the hair for men. Man colors like blood red or cum white or titty milk beige. I, I just I love the idea. It's it's like when they sell like women's razors and they're like this one's pink and a thousand percent more dollars, and this yeah. one is just like these are badass colors, not wimpy colors. Yeah. It's like gunmetal. Yeah, number Jack <laughs> Brown. Yeah, American flag blue. <laughs> Cool. Well, we thought he, there would be nothing more comfortable for guys than Maxim. That makes it a guy thing. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, yeah. I like it because Maxim, this was at a time when, like, Maxim magazine was, uh, it was like, I, I it, it, were you supposed to masturbate to it? Because it made me horny. And I'd be like, oh, these, uh, these are hot uh, photos of women on here. Mm-hmm. But I have the it, the internet. So what am I supposed to do? No, it's like, because if someone said you were lame for reading, you're like, no, look, it has titties too. I'm not <laughs> reading. <laughs> also, if you collect them all and you put them in order, the spines, mm-hmm. there's another picture of a lady. Yeah, there's another titty if you put the spines in order. <laughs> there's a secret titty. <laughs> It it's takes like, 12 months to jack off to it, but it's get, worth it. You get a decoder ring, and at the end it spells out, <laughs> look at more titties. If you cut out the proof of purchase and send it back to the manufacturer, they give you one titty. <laughs> it's nice. Barry Pincus, manager for brand development at Dennis Publishing, said the licensing arrangement would be the first of many. 
Maxim is a real cool brand, Mr. Pincus said. Guys look <laughs> oh, up yeah, to us, cool. and women love us mm-hmm. as well. They trust who sure. we are. And this gives them a tangible interface with our brand that they can touch or feel. Uh, you know, it's like the more you read this, the more you're like, I'm glad print is dead. <laughs> as, <laughs> as a nation, we didn't deserve people like fucking Barry Pincus, you know, to have know. any any fucking clout. Fuck that. I'd, I'd love to see the world where there's Maxim branded guns and yeah. Maxim branded, um, you know, phones and stuff. That yeah, like, yeah. Get a Maxim I just, phone. I want. I'm just missed the days when they had, uh, you know, those magazines would send you with a, an expense account, and they would just like send you to a city and be like, "That's true." Go cover that thing, and also like all the beer and the stuff that you drink while you're there is on us. Yeah, that's true. Like, Nowadays, no, I gotta I, write like you know, a hundred ways to cook Nestle product. That and then yeah, and hopefully you get like three dollars at the end. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean I'm not saying that. It isn't worse today, but I am saying like the bright side is I don't have to hear about Barry Pincus telling me about his products. No, I'm sure he's going to tell you about like crypto or something instead. (laughs) Oh, for sure. For sure. He's selling Maxim coin. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, God. (laughs) Tit coin. Titty coin. Every every coin got a titty on it. Titty, no nipple Uh, though. No nipple. No nipple. Nope. Yeah, they can't show nipples. Um, yeah. So that's that was the that was the back in the day machine. Uh, okay, so that's what's going on at the time that this episode came out. Uh fucking war in Iraq is about to happen. Um and fucking Beretta shoots someone with a Beretta and gets off. And finally, um print um media still exists and uh which is an interesting thing they actually did I it feel with like, a, this... like a german ruger or some some stupidly uh what an like cinematic gun yeah he did it with not a beretta nope no come on <laughs> he probably no. thought like listen if i was gonna shoot someone <laughs> well you think i wouldn't do it with a Beretta? <laughs> yeah. like that was probably part <laughs> of his was, defense, yeah, baked into the defense. <laughs> and then the, the journey the journey's like yeah that's true um he's that guy but yeah, this covers all the themes of uh, The Wire in general, I think, because, you know, The Wire is essentially a show um, about, uh, well, obviously titties and meat. No, The Wire is a show about, um, you know, the kind of like the government death of journalism. dysfunction and feckless Government bureaucracy. dysfunction and feckless bureaucracy, um, all taking place in a time when um, all money is being funneled into uh, international terrorism. Because, uh, you know, because 9-11 happened and we're like, well, that's we got we got to do wars now on our own people. Yeah. We got to put a boot in someone's ass. Someone's got to get a boot in their ass. It is the American way. So, yeah, um, people we were America was a lot like D'Angelo Barksdale, you know, like someone had passed Mm -hmm. us some fake money and we got yeah. we got to make a we got to make an example out of that person or else uh the low rise is not going to respect us you know yeah dude that's so true that's so true um but yeah let's let's talk about it let's talk uh, you know about this episode uh the pilot episode of fucking the wire so like what are what are your general thoughts vince um i got a lot of thoughts i mean i love the wire uh i think you know the the basis of the wire is 
like when you say something's like a failed city or a dysfunctional city, which is pretty common. Like now, now it's like a thing on Fox News where it's like, ah, Portland is going to shit and San Francisco is a war zone. But I think back in the early aughts, it was more like, you know, your eastern, more Rust mm-hmm. Belt cities that were the places that you didn't go. Um, and then I think the like the idea behind the show is like when people say something's like a dysfunctional or a failed city, uh, why is it that? And and how did mm-hmm. it get that way? And um, I think he did it in a format that is, you really couldn't explain that because there's so many reasons and so many different factors that go into it. Like this format is really the only format in which you could actually give like a detailed and nuanced uh, explanation for how that happens. Um, right. And he sort of wraps it all in the uh, the most um, digestible TV format, which is like the cop show. And you see it in this first yeah. episode um, that, you know, it's this, it's this nuanced portrayal. I think it does the same thing that... Um, the death of Dick Long, Dick Long, which you know, not a maybe, maybe not a huge reference for most people, but we talked about it. And I <laughs> no, think, it's a great I think reference the reason, for us. I think the reason that it's like one of the movies that stands out as being really good in the last five or ten years is that it sort of treated every character as like a fully fledged human, and especially right. like in two thousand two, I don't think a ton of shows were doing that. Like every single character in this, there's not like a villain everybody everybody's just petty and venal for their own specific reasons and it sort of treats every character like that but interspersed with that like you know it does do some of the classic well-worn tropes which like mcnulty is basically your old school like rick from casablanca he's like the he's the mm-hmm. the cynic the the avowed cynic who's you know secretly a frustrated romantic and and he'll spend all day telling you that he doesn't care even though it's very obvious to everyone that he he does care and uh, you know everybody right. likes that type of character and and you know and then of course him and Bunk are your classic interracial uh, buddy cop pairing mm-hmm. and yeah uh, and you know what when the wire does it I'm a piggy for all those old tropes they do it <laughs> really fucking well I could I could watch McNulty and Bunk just broing down. Uh, all day long. Um, Brent, uh, general thoughts. General thoughts. This is, so I watched it all probably like 2010, I think I watched it all. And so this is, mm-hmm. this is interesting to come back to it now. Cause when we did the Sopranos, it was still pretty fresh. Uh, and what I, I remember liking it a lot, but I also, I, I had this, this like re- memory of how I felt watching it the first time, which is like, it's kind of fucking exhausting. Um, yeah. where like it feels like like all of the things Vince said I agree with but it's so much so much of it feels like vegetables especially this first I remember specifically the mm-hmm. first like five episodes I think I had yeah. to try I think I had to start over a couple of times because I kept just kind of uh-huh. like drifting off because it's not only yes. like so much to keep track of and the like the like the the harsh reality of the situation like there's no the sopranos does like they do a bunch of like artistic you know there's a bunch of like art with dreams and stuff that adds just enough of a like a layer between you and the thing psychologically where this just i had to i remember when i first watched it like i torrented it and i was just watching it in my parents basement and i had to like I had to stop watching it before bed because I would stress out. Like it would just fucking stress me out. So I could only for a while, I could only like, especially the whatever season they go to the schools. It was like, you got to have daylight. Oh, yeah. if you're going to watch the show. Cause it's going to ruin your mm-hmm. night. And that's, yeah. I think, yeah. but, 
I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I like ahead. I never felt like vegetables for me, but I think part of the reason for that is like the, my first few jobs, and maybe this is true for everyone, but my first few jobs were all at like corporate places that were completely dysfunctional on mm-hmm. like every level. So and and as uh, as Herc says shit rolls downhill so like when you're at, when you're mm-hmm. at your first corporate job like all you're doing is uh is, is implementing the implementing the, the mandate of someone <laughs> who doesn't give a fuck uh yeah. and is just trying to cover their own ass like you're helping yeah. you're helping someone who sucks their job cover their own ass that's like every entry level job <laughs> yeah. so like mm-hmm. when you watch this you uh, it, like mcnulty's kind of like this perfect wish fulfillment uh, and he speaks to some higher truth, which is that like the greatest sin in basically any job, uh, any corporate job is to like actually care, to actually care about the end user and care about like the company's product and like what you're putting yeah. into the world. Like the easiest way to rise in any cor- corporation is to not give a shit and just do whatever dumb shit your boss tells you to do. And especially, right. yeah, because it, it reminded me so much of working in tech support where it's just about like raw data. Like how many tickets can you mm-hmm. close? Nobody exactly. cares if you're actually yeah. solving anyone's nope. problems or helping anyone. Just they need numbers. Yeah. And so yeah. it's, mm-hmm. yeah. It's, Make it's, like, my spreadsheet I, look good. That's yes, all I give exactly. a fuck about. So that I could show it to my boss. Deputy loves dots. That's basically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And when you list the cases, put a little dot next to each one. Deputy likes dots. I think the 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 accuracy of it makes it like because it's so brutally accurate. Um, I think it's visually dreary in a way that is very probably true to the source. Like everybody, mm-hmm. every every public servant has this awful uh, haircut that looks like it came from 1997, even though the show's set in like 2002, which is like really accurate. But when you're watching it for the first time. It really just feels like you went to traffic court and, and all the people from traffic court are like in a show together. Yes, that is, it's, it's a similar feeling to like being at traffic court or the DMV where it's just like, God, this, I feel like this they is hired, what the real world is. They hired real bureaucrats and public yeah. servants to they work on the show because so they're like, we can't. <laughs> Yeah. We can't hide. We can't find actors like this because no. people going acting do not look like this. No. You know, like uh, w- so they just went to real cops. They went to real detectives. They they were like, we need real people because nobody looks as bored and hostile as an actual <laughs> cop. Yeah, yeah. And um, the thing that they do great is that like the people have accused it of copaganda, which I I don't. I don't think that's true at all for one thing, mm-hmm. but I think, no, uh, not at all. I think, you know, David Simon obviously spent a ton of time like in, uh, as a city reporter in Baltimore and embedded with the homicide, uh, department. And I think, mm-hmm. I think his main takeaway was that cops always are hung over. And that's like sort of the, <laughs> the basis of the, the way cops are portrayed in the wires. Everybody's, everybody's hung over and like, it doesn't want to do too much that day. Mm-hmm. That and that was a big difference in my experience watching it this time than when I was younger. Uh, mm-hmm. I think when I was younger, I think I, you know I never like loved cops or anything, but like if I was watching a cop show, I understood the cops to be the good guys, and I think I watched it through right. that lens. And now watching it, it's like oh, every cop in this is either a fucking idiot or like mm-hmm. so selfish or like lazy. Like I don't like. Think he's, like- 
like unhelpful in a way that's almost pathological where you're just like, <laughs> are you, is this like on purpose? Are you evil or are you just yeah. so lazy you've become evil? Yeah. yeah. And I it's mean, true because like Cops was definitely one of those shows that people watched back in the 90s when people were like, cops are good guys, except for when rappers are mad. <laughs> bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do? When what the fuck did I do? So, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those, one of those like realizations with this show. I gotta say, this is to call it copaganda is to um, completely erase what the show is actually trying to do because it's it's uh it, it's not at all a show that gives you any simple answers to anything because it's not like uh they're saying that the problem with the cops is the problem with literally every other industry which is that 90 yes. percent of the people doing it are bad at their jobs and b yes. like someone above them has this like big data money ball idea of how to fix it mm -hmm. which instead of helping anything just becomes this f fucking stupid numbers game uh, that right. allows people to uh, shirk any sort of responsibility over the situation. And I think, yeah. you know, in terms of like, yes, like McNulty is sort of, especially early on, like he's the good guy. But I think any good, any good piece of fiction like asks a what if at the center of it. And it's basically sure. saying like, what if there was like a really good cop who actually gave a shit and like didn't care as much about uh, trying to rise the ranks and instead like was trying to solve some crime, which is like a fair know, what if to ask. Honestly, though, but if you if you think about it, though, it is that alone makes it incredible that this show was ever even made. Oh, yeah. Like, like think of all the log lines happening like uh, within this time period. You know, mobster goes to therapy or like man dying of cancer becomes a meth <laughs> kingpin. Like the elevator pitch for the wires. What if a judge forced the police to do police <laughs> like that's yeah. the whole that's the whole pitch the idea that someone said oh shit that's that's a great we're gonna idea tell you why we're gonna tell you why baltimore is dysfunctional like okay <laughs> yeah right have fun yeah they're like why baltimore and they're like why not baltimore all right i don't know dude yeah, yeah. it's it's yeah. and it's also it's, like you realize why you understand very early on why like it wasn't as popular in its own time is like sure. this came out in 2002 when Bush is in the middle of being like, yeah, we need to kick some ass. Like it's right in the middle of all of pop culture telling us that our institutions are solid and we all need to, you know, line up behind, line yeah. up behind it, behind all yeah, of we our institutions all, and support them. We were them. all Toby Keith in 2002. Yeah. We were ready to, yes. to put a boot in an ass. Yeah. That's what, that was what we were trying to do. And like the idea that, people i think would watch this show with any i don't know like with any kind of analysis i think was asking a lot and so it's kind of a it's kind of amazing that the show kept going i mean it's it's really a remarkable uh feat to have done five seasons of this show especially after the second season which is i think arguably People say it's the most hated season by, I think, the casual fan, but it's arguably the best season of the show. Um, but, you know, we'll we'll debate about that. But that show, like, they're, they're like, hey, let's move on from the cop stuff, uh, you know, and the, the drug dealer stuff, and let's focus on the docs. And yeah. people got so mad because <laughs> yeah, they're, like, they're like, why are you making this boring show more boring? And I think I think, I think the it season took two me is great. a couple watches. Yeah, yeah. I, I think season two is great, but I also I understand why people reacted 
uh, badly to it because like you, the acting wise, it kind of falls off a cliff between uh, season one and two. Uh, you know, not eh. like Frank Sabatka is great, but a lot of the underlings on the docks, nah, they're all very great. good actors. <laughs> this is another reason I love this show. Another reason I love this show is because the acting in general on the wire is not carrying the show. The acting is fine. The I acting think it, is I like, think it oh, goes, there's an incredible range. Like there's some people that are breathing life into the most writerly writing that there is. And then there's other people sure. that just had an authentic look and they're kind of just, they're fitting in They're role players. They're setting picks for the stars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I don't think anyone does a particularly terrible job. And I don't think there's very many. I can count on one hand the amount of like, oh, that was a good performance. I can tell you like, that the, I feel the like show. there were some standouts even in this in this episode. Yeah. Who are your standouts? Because I've got I've got at least one. In OK, so hand. I think I think one standout is Delaney Williams, who plays uh, Landsman. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, the big the big theatric because he's he's very much like the least uh, he's the most the most stylized character. Like he does these lines that like you can hear David Simon writing him, but you can absolutely yes. not hear a homicide detective saying the words, uh, he, not the judge has what's left of your beshitted career. It is hot little hands <laughs> like that. Like reading that on paper, I'd be like, really? I got to say this. Don't it make your dick bust concrete to be in the same room with two noble selfless public servants. I know I'm proud. It's got dots. Deputy loves dots. Fuck you and your dots. Look, all I did was answer the guy's questions. He's a fucking judge. And the deputy's the fucking deputy. And he, not the judge, has what's left of your beshitted career in his hot little hands. But, like, yeah. that guy, <laughs> he makes yeah. that line sing. Um, yeah. I also sure. Think, I also think D'Angelo, the actor who plays D'Angelo Barksdale, is uh, a lot better than he gets credit for. Hmm. No, he's good. They're great, but don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they're not good. I'm saying watch The Sopranos and you're like, oh my God, James Gandolfini, Edie Falco, they are carrying this show. Right. Their acting is so good that, you know, you can, they can have whole sequences where they are just breathing and you're like, <laughs> oh fuck, I feel this. And, uh, on The Wire, I feel like in general, it, it, like it's not so much the acting as it is the, like an on, the ensemble performance yeah. and yeah. the writing yeah. of, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, the, the, the is, verisimilitude of the show is really what sells it. Yes. yes. Yeah. The wire or sorry, the Sopranos is sort of built around specifically, you know, Gandolfini's performance and then kind of Carmela's too. Whereas this is like, yeah. no, the, yeah, this is, this is really spread out. It's not, it's just a, a completely different approach to making a show. Yeah. So like nobody needs to be that good of an actor. Cause that's not right. really the show's strength. Yeah. But I thought I was, as I was watching it, I was like, Oh, Wood Harris should be in more stuff. Oh, I don't yeah. understand. Yes. why He's really good in it. He's he, I, I rem, like made me remember the Titans and I was, I just mm-hmm. kind of thought like, oh, this guy should be in more stuff. I, yeah, I was really impressed with him. And I, I, on first watch, I never really like. Wood Harris, of course, plays Avon Barksdale, yeah, which uh, Avon. is a great character. And yeah, he is a he, fantastic actor. He does get to play speaking, Spencer Haywood in the, uh, the Lakers show. That's right. That's yeah, right. But, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's good in that too. Um, I think we got to talk about Dominic West playing Jimmy McNulty and then get into this episode. I Jimmy. All right. Okay. I, I also want to talk about uh, Dominic West's uh, personal biography because I always think that's interesting for English actors. Cause uh, yes, they always are like 
fucking aristocrats. I don't know what it is about. Mm-hmm. Like every single English actor has like the most insanely uh, the insane pedigree. Um, Dominic West. Uh, he went to Eton, of course. Um, mm-hmm. He's first cousin of the American politician Thomas Eagleton. He went. He 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 did his gap year during which he spent four months working as a cattle herder in Argentina. Huh. Ah. Yeah, studied okay. English literature at Trinity College Dublin. Uh, graduate of the Guildhall School of Music and Drama in 1995. But yeah. I don't, as an actor, I, I don't like. Aside from his accent, which kind of uh, you know comes and goes, I think he does sure. do a really good job of just looking like a rakish, uh, yes. you know, cynic that you yeah. want to. Uh, he looks like succeed. a dirty dicked Irishman, and he does yeah. it in a way <laughs> yes. that I feel yeah. like is is palpable. Like like you just look yes. at him and you go, "This guy's got the dirtiest dick," and yes. you feel <laughs> he like. Looks- he does such a perfect job of being a guy who you know you shouldn't fuck, but you're going to do yeah. it anyways. Yeah. This is definitely yes. a guy who values good times over his family. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. He's he's uh, he's the ultimate fuck boy and uh it's <laughs> it's kind of amazing. But he's I I don't feel like he is you know, it, it, he's ostensibly the the lead of the show mm-hmm. and I wouldn't at all put him on uh, a level of like I don't know. I wouldn't put him at the James Gandolfini level. I know that's a high bar, but you know, just in general, I think he's like, he's okay. And he, his accent slips all the time, but what sells him, uh, is the, again, the verisimilitude where he just does feel like a real, he feels like a real detective who's like, he feels really that drunk when he's (laughs) doing a drunk thing. It's, it's Mm -hmm. incredible. But, uh, Let's get into this opening scene. Um, um, uh, one thing I do love about The Wire is they have cold opens and they just are incredible. So this is the first cold open of the series. You call the guy Snot? Snot Boogie. Yeah. Snot Boogie. It's a kid whose mama went to the trouble of christening Omar Isaiah Betts. You know, he forgets his jacket. His nose starts running, and some asshole, instead of giving him a Kleenex, he calls him snot. <laughs> so he's snot forever. Doesn't seem fair. Life just be that way, I guess. So, who shot snot? I ain't going to no court. And every Friday night, I'm in the alley behind the cut rate, we rolling bones, you know? I mean, all the boys from around the way, and we roll to late. Alley crap game, right? Like every time, he's not. It fade a few shooters. Play it out to the pots deep. Snatch and run. What, every time? Couldn't help himself. Let me understand you. Every Friday night, you and your boys will shoot crap, right? And every Friday night, your pal Snot Boogie. He'd wait till there was cash on the ground, then you'd grab the money and run away? Let him do that? I mean, we'll catch him and beat his ass, but ain't nobody never go past that. I gotta ask you. If every time Snop Boogie would grab the money and run away, why'd you even let him in the game? What? When Snop Boogie always stole the money, why'd you let him play? Got to. This America, man. 
Probably the greatest opening mm-hmm. uh, ever, and it's a uh, that's a that is a real anecdote from. Uh, mm-hmm. It's in it's in David Simon's book about uh, you know in being embedded with the Baltimore Homicide Department. I, I'm sure that is like a story that he'll never forget, and that's why it makes like a good little cold open because like mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah it was it was a real anecdote. Yeah, and just like the idea of like you know number one. Having a guy being named Snot Boogie forever, and then just kind of like that's just it is what it is. Yeah, I yeah. like when he goes, he's like, it just be like that sometimes, I guess. And it's just like, well, you did actively call him Snot Boogie. <laughs> you didn't have to. If his, you know, his name was Omar, you could have called him that. <laughs> like, but uh, but beyond that, just like, why did you let him in the game if he just couldn't help himself and he always had to rob <laughs> the dice game? And his, his thing was just like it it's America, man, which is such a it's 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 such it's such an amazing line because you just realize that like the entire purpose of the show almost is just like, well, why are why are things this seems dysfunctional? Why is it like this? And you go like, cause freedom, dude. Cause we, <laughs> yeah. Cause freedom. Yeah. People like got that free is will our, and they do fucked up shit. That really is the, the root of it. <laughs> it is. It is. It's like, it, well, this is uh, the land of liberty. Like you can't, you can't come in here with your government, try to regulate our dice game. Like what the fuck? <laughs> uh, it's, it's an incredible, incredible opening. Um, but, uh, Speaking of actually, I just wanted to share this about uh, Dominic West. You know, he got this job with everyone knowing full well he could not do an American accent very well. And the reason he got it was because he sent in an audition tape. Usually with an audition tape, you have someone reading with you. Someone does one line and then you do the line that you're you're reading for. So someone was supposed to be playing bunk, I think. And... uh he didn't have that, so he just did the entire thing alone and just pretended to be uh, <laughs> pretended to be talking to someone off screen the whole time, but there was nobody there, mm-hmm. and they just laughed at his audition tape so hard because the accent was terrible <laughs> that they're like, "We got to bring this guy in," That's and then <laughs> and then they, they actually <laughs> hired him, which is an incredible story. I yeah. just love. So, nobody uh, looks you know, like le- a nobody's as good at looking like a squirrely, uh, a squirrely mm-hmm. but lovable son of a bitch as Dominic West. He, he like that's right. Like, he looks like he just woke up in his car always. Yeah. Oh, I listening to it again. It was great too because his accent dips in and out, and you can tell it's. I could always tell on Snot Boogie, which I love because it feels like that's his like deep-seated like british aristocracy like not let like he's like well, i gotta ask you something why you always <laughs> boogie <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like he can't uh he can't hide it too for very long before he just uh is becomes british again yeah. <laughs> and it's uh honestly at this point i think in my life and i think for this is true of i think most americans is we didn't know that what the Baltimore accent sounded like. Yeah. So no. I was like, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's just how they talk over there. <laughs> yeah. um, we, I, so and, we got to find Dominic West's real accent. Cause is, is he, I know he grew up in Yorkshire or in Sheffield, but he is from an Irish family. And whenever I hear him, like he sounds more Irish than English mm-hmm. at the accent. He says, He's very British. He's got a, he's got a British accent. McNulty is a Baltimore native. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's I mean, crazy. as far as we know, yeah. yeah, he, 
I mean, he knows he about just sort you know. of like when it's when it's working, it more sounds just sort of general East Coast. So I wasn't sure right if, if they had given him like you know you, you know he's from I don't know Philly or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's funny just because the accents is an interesting thing that only recently, uh, especially watching We Own the City, where you, they they really tried to um, like get people to learn the accent. Uh, it was like. Once I had realized that the accent was a very specific thing, then you kind of go back and you see people like the guy who plays Prop Joe doing, you know, the perfect accent because he is a Baltimore yeah. guy. Or and the real see... Jay Landsman who is, you know, in the right. kids season. Yes, yes. And then um, you see like Idris Elba who's doing an accent that I would just describe as like generic black guy accent. Like it was very much like, um, you know, not... It was it, it wasn't regional. It was just like his version of what like a badass drug dealer or, might sound like. Or Herc. I don't know if they ever. I don't know if they ever gave us uh, a, a bio or a background for Herc. But Herc has like the most New York accent Brooklyn-y, has yeah. that has ever existed. Like you cannot the hear most, that guy and not yeah. think New York. I don't know if they were trying to right. sell him as being from Baltimore in the show, but he's very clearly from New York. Right, right. But, uh, you know, at the time, who kn- we were like, I don't know, it's all, you know, yeah. it's all the same it's over shit. There but, you know, the, the freaking uh, Statue of Liberty. Right. But, like, Maryland is, you know, this got, is that weird thing where it's like, it's not Virginia, so it's not the South, but mm-hmm. it's not New York, so it's not the North. It's this mixed it's accent that specific, of like weird mid Atlantic. Oh, long O sounds, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, long O. Yeah. 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 Um, Gay flyers. Right. <laughs> so we start off after the cold open um, with uh, McNulty is observing the trial of D'Angelo Barksdale, uh, who is a young drug dealer uh, who is uh, charged with the murder of a low-ranking gang member. The first witness, uh, his name is Willie Gant, and he does point out, uh, he does snitch on D'Angelo. Mm-hmm. But then another one um, named Nikisha Lyles changes her story in the middle of the stand, and uh, I have a clip. And like the one man, he got knocked down. and The so victim did- got knocked down? No, the man with the gun. <laughs> the man who was knocked down had a gun. And do you see that man in the courtroom today? Nope. <laughs> just, that's the most obvious victim intimidation ever, where she just looks at fucking Stringer Bell and is like, nope, do not see him. <laughs> so amazing. Um, and I love, uh, we see Stringer in the courtroom, you know, he's wearing his nice, you know, uh, suit or whatever, and he's drawing a a, a black superhero <laughs> um, doodle with, it's got like the continent of Africa on his chest and the speech bubble that just says, fuck you, detective. <laughs> it's a great drawing. Yeah, I mean, I can't it's do a all great that well. Yeah. yeah. Does, does it, do we ever find out, does he ever do art later? Is this the only time we see Stringer Bell making he was, art? He was doing art classes at the community college before he was doing the business classes, I think. That's right. Sick. That's true, and and also uh, also based on um, a uh, a true story. Which um, you know, as this podcast goes on and on, we will be uh, introducing the characters who a lot of these um, you know characters are based on. And uh, yeah, we'll get into that. Also, but, I just so- want to point out how far, like how complete that drawing had to have been before. 
because it's like McNulty walks in and within minutes we get this <laughs> this shot of him looking over his shoulder and it's his fuck you detective, which means either Stringer Bell really is sort of a mastermind and he knew like there was a chance a detective mm-hmm. would come in. And so he did this or he was just drawing this African superhero kind of for fun. And yeah. then he saw yeah. the detective and no, then pivoted. Yeah, no, all he had to do was put the speech bubble in there. That doesn't yeah, take yeah, that yeah. I think he, he was he was he was waiting for inspiration to strike us to. All right. So what does this guy say? And then he's like, he sees the detective. He goes, I got it. Yeah. But that um, also means that he's like bored in court. He's like, <laughs> he's sort I, of. <laughs> He's there to Stringer- intimidate people and get one of his fr- like to to uh, like upend the legal system, and he's like, whatever, I'm gonna doodle a little guy. I think he <laughs> has a lot of ideas, uh, Stringer, and I think one of his ideas is a pitch for you know like a black superhero. So I think he had okay. that yeah. all there, and then yeah. he saw McNulty, and he's like, all right, well, I'm gonna, I got a good, yeah. I got an idea for a good line for him. <laughs> yeah, hey, you know, it's a business, and he's a businessman. Um, Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. 
Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So he he sees McNulty sees that this uh, this entire trial is blowing up and that, you know, D'Angelo is probably going to walk. And he walks over to Detective Barlow, who is uh, he's the guy who, you know, was prosecuting this case or, you know, the, the, the police attached to it. And he's on the phone haggling with a man over pressure treated lumber, <laughs> which uh, my favorite thing in this show is watching the moments in between. Uh, which are so well thought out, you know, between like movement of plot, you always see like opens with a cop um, doing something super inane and not mm-hmm. at all related to police work <laughs> or like either sleeping, drinking, masturbating, fucking like trying to order yeah. on a menu. Because that's what you see at any job is like you don't see yes. people performing their job function. You see them no, dealing never. with some bullshit like, oh, man, this fucking electrician's got to come over and fix my box like it's an old break. We got old breakers here. He's got to come in yeah. and rewire my whole shit and it's got to cost yeah. it's gonna cost me this much money or you know. And you see the money as motivation uh as for the police throughout this episode in terms of like like Detective Barlow is he's haggling cuz he's like, "Oh, that's way too much money for pressure treated lumber." And then you see yeah, What do they uh, treat this lumber with gold? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why are you trying to treat it like royalty? Um and then uh, he, you see uh, Detective Bunk Moreland at one point taking on uh, a, a possible murder scene because he needs, he, he basically says out loud, I need, I did this for the money. We aren't up. Nolan's squad is up. I know, I know. But you had to answer the fucking phone, didn't you? I better pay down my credit cards, man. Not off him, you ain't. And he's really hoping that it won't be a murder and that a dude just like, you know, OD yeah, everybody in, wants in the one overtime. of the houses. It's the ultimate yes. you know, yeah. motivator. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to talk about in this, uh, mm-hmm. in this trial scene, uh, again, like I said, everybody in the wire, it looks like you're at traffic court and just mm-hmm. like the sickening, sickeningly accurate hairstyle of the prosecuting attorney. Like, holy <laughs> yeah. shit, that is... <laughs> Such a perfect civil servants, uh, not too mm-hmm. glamorous, but a, like brutally functional hairstyle. And uh, we actually, I actually pitched a segment, uh, which is you know trying to figure out who has the uh, the worst but also most accurate civil servant hairstyle in any given episode. Um, yeah, one of my one of my uh, nominees is this prosecutor lady, uh, the 
The other competitors are uh, the redhead who is sitting next to Barlow while he's arguing about the pressure-treated lumber. I don't think she's ever identified. Um, uh-huh. ex- I think she's got like power bangs and like the, the, with also like a bad perm at the same time. Um, and uh-huh. then, and then of course when we meet, uh, you know, Rhonda Perlman. Rhonda Perlman, the, dude, the queen of the, uh, the the bad wire hairstyles. Oh, one of the greatest casting decisions I think. Uh, in television history. Like she seems uh, like she's not an actress because they just did her wardrobe and, and makeup and hair so perfectly. Uh, <laughs> to fit her and she, the- she was going up against like a lot of famous people for this part. And she, in interviews subsequently, she was like, I was certain I wasn't getting this. Cause I saw the other people who were getting it, who were auditioning and they were either famous or just like ridiculously hot. Yeah. And then, you know, and when she got it, she was just like, what the fuck? And it was such a smart decision because, again, yeah. it's like what makes the show great is that there are no tens. Maybe Idris Elba. <laughs> Idris Elba is probably the hottest person on the show uh, by a mile. And everyone else is just like you can range from like ogre to, I don't know, civil servant. And that's it. And it's wonderful. I love that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, the case is fucked, uh, and, uh, D'Angelo gets off and that's when McNulty is called up to, uh, Judge Phelan's office. Now, Judge Phelan is going to be a, uh, a character we see throughout this entire series. Um, this is like for, at least for this episode is when you learn how much power a judge has, because apparently a judge can you know, order around the police to do shit for them that yeah. they don't necessarily the want to do, which happens, I didn't know. The way anything happens in any city is when someone who matters deigns to give a shit. And, uh, you right. know, that's rare because this, this judge, he probably, li- he doesn't live in Baltimore. He lives in some like rich person suburb. He really probably has sure. no idea of what's actually happening uh, on the ground in Baltimore. And he only starts to care because... Like McNulty goes way out of his way to, you know, start asking questions, some very pointed questions about like what's happening down in uh, the West Side. And it's also clear that one of the reasons that the city police are are getting on this is because Judge Phelan is also a political entity. He's also someone who is, you know, maybe going to be running for higher office. Like it's it's kind of like implied that this is someone we don't want to fuck around with. Right. Well, a lot of judges are be... elected, too, so they're, it's almost like an no, inherently for sure. political job, yeah. Right, right. But uh, it it seemed to be, you know, a uh, so they didn't want to fuck with him, and they just wanted to, you know, do the best they could to placate this judge. Um, and, uh, yeah, Judge Phelan uh, basically is uh, it starts contacting people and yeah. uh, asking, who the fuck is Avon? And I do think that this is part of what made it hard to watch the not hard to watch, but like hard to like get into it at first is I'm just like, who's this guy? Like, why does anyone care? <laughs> what, what is this says? show about? It's called yeah. The Wire. There's yes. no wire in the episode. There's not one. a single in wire fact, in the first in episode. In fact, they go out of their way to say there will not be any wires, no wires uh, yeah. on yeah. this detail. Yes, exactly. Um, 
So Major Rawls uh, is, uh, so we see Sergeant Jay Landsman first, uh, you know, uh, talking to McNulty and telling him, uh, hey, Just Rawls wants to see you. Like the most, uh, like he's basically a theater kid's theater kid. Like Landsman always comes in like basically singing show tunes and doing monologues. Yes. And somehow it works. I just think that guy's that good of an actor. Yeah, totally. He's like uh, Josh Gad with talent. Uh-huh. And it's, he really is. It's, yeah. It's an amazing. He's like a non-annoying Josh Gad. That really is his whole thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's like a big guy who is like he's. I don't know. He's actually acting and and he's putting his all into it. And I feel bad for Jay Landsman, the real Jay Landsman, who went up for the role of Jay Landsman and lost because <laughs> well, he's a terrible actor. Because <laughs> he's people a terrible like, we actor. Like people are like, we like this theatrical fat guy. I mean, he's he's doing that thing that only certain actors can do, like F. Murray Abrams or like Christopher Lee. These guys that really, they're only mm-hmm. believable in the context of, uh, they only ever look like they're acting, but they're so good at that style of acting that you continue to want them uh, to, to act, you know? Yeah, and he's got a perfect yes. look. He looks yeah. like a like your friend's dad who brags about bullying kids in high yeah. school, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it sucks to be the real Jay Landsman to have to go up against Delaney Williams cuz that dude is amazing. Um and uh you know, so is uh John Dooman, the guy who plays Rawls. Is that you Doman? Dooman? I don't know how to pronounce it. He's a famous character actor. You've seen him before. Um, he usually plays an asshole and or a cop. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he, basically, Rawls orders Jimmy McNulty to, you know, uh, give him a, the largest file ever on on Avon Barksdale and basically everything I mean, that he snitched to the judge about. Yeah. But the, the, McNulty has cre- has committed like the highest sin uh, that anyone... yeah, breaking chain of command. Well, yeah, making some, making your boss look bad, which is like the ultimate sin in the both in the bureaucracy and like in any corporate environment, like any corporate environment. The idea that you would in any way uh, try to broaden the scope of your knowledge about a particular subject matter and not just do the job that's right in front of you is yeah. like, I mean, that's the cardinal sin in any corporate environment. Is just like, um. That's not your job to worry about that. <laughs> yeah. And um, if you're going to have a suggestion, tell it to me in private so that I can assess it and then steal it from you and get the credit <laughs> yeah, for it. As they say on the show, he, you know, he, giving a shit when it's not your turn to give a shit is the worst thing that you can do. Yeah, it's uh, it's incredible. Uh, and, uh, you know, Major Rawls basically is like, I'm going to ruin your life. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's homicide, right? Now we get into the narcos. At uh, at the time that this is all happening, we meet this team of narcos run by Kima Greggs and um, also two idiots that... Uh, <laughs> See, that's the are, thing I think that makes The Wire great is especially like the characters of Herc and... Uh, what's his name? Carver. Carver. Herc and Carver. Like, it would have been so easy to just write them like as pure meathead idiots and yes. like they certainly are that but like you can tell that it's more that they've just been put in this situation where like they think the goal of the job 
is to uh, like run up bust heads. on people and yeah, bust yeah. heads. Like that's just the job as they've been taught it. And it's yeah. like the thing, right. like if, if you're them, what's more exciting, like sitting on a fucking wire and like listening to uh, some drug dealers talk for like 48 hours right. on end or just like running up and like, you know, holding a gun in front of you and saying, put your hands up like everybody's mm-hmm. seen on cops. Of course, that's right. going to be the thing of the part yeah. of the job that you want to do the most. And then they get to add numbers to their boss's spreadsheet. So they're also being rewarded for this yeah. right. behavior. So of course, of course, they're going to keep doing this. They are attracted to the job for this very reason. And I think that is the, you know, part of the, the rot of, you know, the entire institution is that like you can't expect these knuckleheads who got the job of police because they were like you're gonna pay me to just beat the shit out of some of you these fucking drug dealers and 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 criminals yeah you beating up bad guys is the root of why most people want to do the job Right. Yeah. No one wants to read an entire dissertation on like, well, what's at the the stem of the problem or and no one wants to take the time that is necessary to actually, you know, uh, build a case on yeah. on these sitting like, at a stakeout. The big dog really does seem like the worst thing ever. Like you just sit in a car and watch yeah. nothing happen for 12 hours straight. Yeah. And just side note, the amazing thing, <laughs> one of the many amazing things about this show is that uh it shows that like even at best if you get all of the resources you need in order to stop stop the the big dog criminals um it's useless and it doesn't matter because the war on drugs just continues to perpetuate because yeah. then someone else just starts selling the drugs yeah. well, so there is no yeah. there's no winning at all and it's just incredible girl you can't even call the shit a war why not wars end huh you know, write that down. Well, it does. It does what most uh, like punishment and like law enforcement does. It's like it, the way that most of the laws are set up. It's kind of like when your dog pees on the carpet, and like, yeah, mm-hmm. you could like grab his snout and like grind it in the pee because like it makes you feel good to be like you did a bad <laughs> thing, and now I'm going to punish yeah. you for it. But it doesn't actually stop him from peeing on the carpet because that requires <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah to like do work and like teach the dog right. things and like be nice to it even when you're mad at it. And like, that's yeah. kind of the whole thing with most crime uh, prevention is like, you actually have to like be nice to the people doing the crimes to figure out what it is they actually want and, and, right. and find and find the proper motivation that's going to get them to stop doing the crime. And that's boring. Mm-hmm. It feels way more satisfying when someone does something bad to you to just like sock them in the shoulder. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. Be tough on crime. Yeah. It's, people have been bragging about being tough on crime for my whole life. Yeah. It feels right. good. Yeah. It feels like yeah. it would be the right way to do things, you know? Yeah. No. It, it, and it sounds good and it gets politicians' jobs. Uh, but uh, it doesn't stop anyone from doing drugs, which is the point, uh, ostensibly. Um, so, yeah, we meet Kima and we meet uh, 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 Carve and Herc and. Um, after they, you know, bust some skulls, they're like sitting on, you know, sitting back at their desk uh, in the narco department, uh, writing on their reports on a typewriter, and they're mad that they don't have computers. And um, and then we see Lieutenant Daniels uh, for the first time, played by just the amazing Lance Reddick, who mm-hmm. might he might be, I think um, he might be 
one of the best actors on the show, if not the best actor on the show. Um, I, I just love looking at his face. Because he looks like a like a velociraptor. Yeah, he is a human um, velociraptor. Although he's somehow lankier, he's like a velociraptor pterodactyl hybrid somehow. Yeah, it's like a he's like a Skeletor and a velociraptor had a baby. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and he he's uh, he is getting chewed out by his major. And I have a little clip with a mouthful of piss, probably. Like, a major don't know what that tastes like. It's a chain of command, baby. The shit always rolls downhill. Motherfucker, we talking about piss. Piss does too. Think about it. Shit rolls. Piss trickles. Downhill, though. You don't know that for sure. Have you ever actually seen piss? <laughs> you don't know that for sure. <laughs> it's the idea. <laughs> they have to argue about whether or not piss or shit trickles or rolls. Yeah. just... If that conversation goes on for another minute, we find out one of them's a flat earther for sure. A hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, essentially what they're saying before they got distracted by their own stupidity is that, uh, you know, the shit rolling downhill is nobody at the top, not the major, knows anything about Avon Barksdale. Neither does Lance Reddick, a.k.a. Uh, Lieutenant Daniels. Neither does fucking um, Herc, Carve, or Kima. So they, of course, are going to be the ones who are in charge of writing this report. and uh, Or at least Kima is. And so uh, what ends up happening is, uh, you know, uh, Kima writes about four pages on Avon. And, um, and McNulty writes an entire fucking phone book. Um, because uh, McNulty actually does keep his ear to the street and uh, does know about Avon and who runs the West Side. Um, and then uh, we get, uh, let's get into the drug dealers and, the you know, the drug users. Yeah, again, like I feel like the the normal thing in any show, any other show that came out in 2002 would be to like make the drug dealers like bad or evil somehow. But right. really it's just yes. like... They very much portray them as like, yeah, they grew up in this neighborhood and that was just kind of what you, what you do. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's what's yeah. great about like Weebay, I think is a phenomenal character. He's a guy who oh, yeah. would have done so well if he had any opportunities. Like he's so competent right. at being a high level like drug dealer guy that mm -hmm. like, no, this guy could have done anything, but like he was born here and these were his circumstances. So he's just really good at this. It's true of a lot of the, the characters uh, in the projects um, on the West side and the East side is that they, you see them kind of mirror mirroring the cops. D'Angelo also has a little bit of disdain for the chain of command because he's related to the mm -hmm. guy at the top. Mm -hmm. um, in the same way that like McNulty is um, he's got disdain for the chain of command because it gets in the way of actually doing any real police work. Um, meanwhile, Weebay is just, he's a guy who knows his role and, uh, yeah. he knows how to juke stats mm -hmm. or his version of it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and his role is driving D'Angelo, uh, back home and, uh, makes him recite the rule when the motherfucker will not stop talking about <laughs> yeah. crimes out loud in the car. What's the rule? I know the rule. Say it. Don't talk in the car. On the phone or in any place that ain't ours, and don't say shit to anybody who ain't us. But it was just you, yo. It's your fucking truck. Well, okay, that's a long rule, and I feel like <laughs> yeah. those are sub rules yeah. in there. Um, 
So D'Angelo goes back to uh, Orlando's club where we see Avon Barksdale for the first time. And to tell you about how much this show does not hold your hand, I think it took me five episodes, six episodes of this show for me to realize that that was Avon Barksdale. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. It's hard for me. Like, this is the third time I've watched this series all the way through it. So it's hard for me to like go back and not remember who characters were. Well, right, but I remember watching it. The reason I I, I, I remember that was um, my parents just watched this for the first time a few months ago when I told them that we were going to do a rewatch podcast on this show, and they finally got around to watching it. And at one point, they're like maybe five episodes in, and they're like, wait, so that's Avon Barksdale? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know it's confusing. I, yeah. I also had that problem. I and had that, that was, problem too. That was something I remembered experiencing the first time watching it. Yes. I got to like four or five episodes and just, they would say names and I'd be like, I don't know who the fuck that is. I can't. Right, I exactly. No, I have no fa- like face to, to put to that name. And even like, no sh- even yeah. here now, you guys have named a couple of characters and I had to be like, wait, who's, who are they talking about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's it, it really takes a no show to like live in the world. It just throws you into the deep yeah. end immediately. Yeah. And uh, you know, for as annoying as that might sound, um it makes it the most like rewatchable show ever. Like mm-hmm. I think I I've seen this now, you know, 6 or 7 times and uh I love it every time a little bit more because like you were saying Brent like I, at the first time I watched it, I was like, there's a lot of vegetables and not much meat. And mm-hmm. then after a while, you just realize that the vegetables are just the most nutritious part of it. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and it's like, it's like the part that you start to crave because you're yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The drug dealers and, you know, cool guys doing cool stuff. Like, give me yeah. the bureaucracy. Yeah, tell give me about me these the fucking... feckless civil servants and why <laughs> yes, this whole system yes, breaks yeah. down. Yeah. G- give me the lack of communication between departments because of competition. <laughs> like, that is that is so funny. Um, and uh, we actually do, we do get into that um, uh, in a bit. But let me just uh, round out what's going on with the drug dealers. Um, Avon is chastising uh, D for killing someone instead of beating his ass when he, you know, he could have just taken a beating like a normal person. Um, and, uh, at the end of the day, Avon still is his brother. So cousin, but sure. Well, you know, what can he do? He's still going to be high up, uh, you know, in the, in the, I don't know, in the C-suite, I guess, mm-hmm. of, uh, of the company. Um, but he does get demoted the, the to the pit. Dude. Oh shit. The G-suite. That's hey, good, dude. Hey. <laughs> I like um, that they the one thing that they did borrow from the Sopranos is like, all right, the 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 gangsters, they have to have like their own strip club as as yeah. a hangout, so you can just have random titties every now and then. <laughs> yeah. Thank God for that, man. Because it's a, one of those shows where, you know, you really do need the titties. Yeah. If I'm gonna eat <laughs> my know, vegetables, you better put them on a couple titties. Uh, yeah, put the veggies on titties meal. and let put me see. Oh, give me the milk and veggies. Okay, so, um, so D gets uh, demoted. He is no longer in the towers, um, running the drugs there. So when they talk about the towers, they're talking about physical towers in the projects on the west side of Baltimore, um, where you know they, these are 
these are places where drugs are are being bought and the sold. cool housing um, projects. Yes, um, and then uh, he gets demoted to the pit, and the pit is basically in the middle of the communal space of the projects, and it's seen as, I guess, the lowest of the low are the ones who are who are going there. The, that's you don't even where have your, a fucking staircase to lean your elbow on? Fuck that shit, dude. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. You're basically, you're literally out in the open selling yeah. drugs, you which is, You can't put out the I vibe think, on some abandoned couch in the middle of a quad, like, that sucks. Right. It's a shitty it's a it's a shitty place to um, try to make a living. Um, but uh, then we get to meet for the first time uh, Bodie and Wallace and Poot, who Sorry, I, I think I, I, are... I, need, I need one small digression here for our segment uh, called Lake, oh, yeah. Lake Trout, where we find out about various uh, Baltimore delicacies. Um, oh, please, yeah, please. Weebay stops the car in front of a place called uh, New York Fried Chicken, uh, which I had never heard of before uh yeah, i guess it's just a shitty chicken, chicken I joint i looked it up on yelp um and i found a review uh that just says ordered chicken livers and mashed potato slash gravy worst livers ever ordered maybe six whole livers but plenty of crumbs with question mark and that's the, that's the whole review and it's just a picture of all the crumbs <laughs> did that guy uh, have a in stroke his... in the middle of writing that review <laughs> just eating too many chicken livers and he had a she stroked out they Damn. sell they also uh, sell, sell gizzards which is nice Got, yeah I mean, yeah you know it's a good chicken joint if they sell gizzards i've never i've never had a gizzard um and i've never had um i've had beef liver but i've never had chicken liver I had a chicken heart once. I've heard yeah. that's pretty good. Yeah, they're right. No, it, I mean, texture-wise, it'll, it's, ugh. It's a heart. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I just don't see why you need it when you can just eat the rest of the chicken. Because then you don't, you don't absorb the chicken's power unless you eat the heart. Mm-hmm. Fried chicken, lake trout. No lake, no trout. Bitch, I'm from Baltimore. You say you was, I never see Okay, so we meet Bodie and Wallace and Poot, uh, three of... I think uh, three of my favorite characters on the show. Um, so we've got uh, we've got, of course, Michael B. Jordan playing Wallace, who I think this is his big his big break. Actually, um, he was in that one episode of The Sopranos, but yeah, I think this is his first real thing. Wait, was Michael B. Jordan in The Sopranos? Yeah, yeah. one oh, episode that's right. in the, uh, yeah. in the flashback, flashback. He goes yeah. and beats up young Tony. That is right. I, I, I totally forgot about that. Uh, and then, um, you know, Bodie is played by J.D. Williams, who is he is at this point in his career kind of like a, a go to guy for HBO. Um, he's got a, a regular, you know, he's a serious regular on Oz. He mm. did also have uh, one. Um, he had that part in The Sopranos as well where I, I believe he is holding his gun sideways. Um, <laughs> of course. And, yeah. uh, and uh, you know, Michael Imperioli is trying to get him to hold it regular. Um, but he is he is fantastic. He's kind of like king of the castle here. I mean, like, he's uh, he's trying to school the youngins. And then uh, Trey Chaney, uh, or Chaney, is uh, playing Poot. And these three are absolutely wonderful, but they are just fucking up. They do not really know how to sell drugs in the pit. The way it's been set up is like people are doing the whole deal all in one. And, and of course, you know, D is trying to give them some game by being like, nah, you need to take the money. And then someone else gives them the drugs. 
that's a foolproof system in which no one has ever been arrested. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then we see this great scene in which uh, we have both, uh, you, we see Johnny and Bubbles, who are, they are the series Couple drug of addicts. wascally wabbits. Couple <laughs> of wascally wabbits. They, always, they, they love heroin. Uh, they, they love their schemes. Um, they always got a, a scheme going. It's kind of like how they live their life is they're just pinky in the brain trying to figure <laughs> out, out a way to take over the world, a.k.a. shoot heroin forever. <laughs> just um, fantastic characters. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Andre Royo plays uh, Bubbles, which, again, I mean, just one of he's yeah. another great actor. There is good acting on the show. Yeah, I take it is. all back. No, incredible acting and just great actor. Yeah. Great and character. Just, yeah. These just, characters well. that are just like the heroin addict cartoon characters. Like who, who else has ever had this uh, as characters in a show or would even pitch this? Like It's, it's incredible. Like, yeah, they're like they're, they're living this completely just hopeless bleak existence where they go from scheme to scheme in order to shoot heroin like in abandoned houses but mm-hmm. it doesn't come off or at least i don't know on my third watch it does not come off depressing it comes off like weirdly comical and uh yeah and like they're almost romantic heroes in a way mm-hmm. right right because they are just they're truly about that life and i think what i love about the the wires portrayal of addicts and addiction is that it shows the full-time job nature of being an addict (laughs) rather than kind of like the constant like melodrama that you see uh of addiction in every i mean even the sopranos kind of like fucked it up a little bit with like chris multisante the constant like music playing when they're high and the constant just like yeah i gotta i gotta you know i got a problem i need help but like i feel like these guys are like no, every day, every day a new a new scheme. Every day, yeah. we figure out where to where to steal some copper. This is a full time job being an addict. And at the end of the day, if you can make that money and you can buy your drugs, you're just like I'm king of the world. And <laughs> yeah. tomorrow is another day because tomorrow doesn't exist when you're an addict. There's only right now, and um, and they do a great job uh, of that. So their their first uh, their inaugural scam is uh <laughs> counterfeiting money which is i think maybe the most amazing <laughs> kind of like to start out with that scam in the show because there's <laughs> that's that's bottom of the barrel shit like you really are taking advantage of someone who's never held money <laughs> like that <laughs> that is that is your scam and uh and it it works out for them at first and um Wallace uh i guess is not handled that much money before so uh he gets he gets took and uh i have uh i have a clip of of that scene y'all niggas been burnt this look like money motherfucker money be green money feel like money that shit look green to you got a dead fucking president on it i don't give a fuck about the president that shit ain't money ain't no president (laughs) what you mean Hamilton, he ain't no president. Nigga, is you crazy? Ain't no ugly ass white man get his face on no legal motherfucking tender set, he president. What's your name, man? Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do love that my <laughs> that Wallace's character is written uh, in a way where he is both terrible at math. 
because he just cannot he cannot add or subtract to save his life, which is something you really need to be able to do in order to be a salesman, um, you know, someone who handles cash. But he's also someone who knows American history enough to be like, no, Hamilton was he was never president. He's our stand-in because he's very he has an extensive uh, humanities liberal arts education, <laughs> yes. but uh, does not give a fuck about math. <laughs> That is 100% correct. He's me. That is yeah, me. That's so me. Entirely. Oh, I had a guy at McDonald's call me retarded once because I did the math wrong. And uh, <laughs> and and he was like, uh, and he was homeless. <laughs> and, and anyways. Um, no, but I was going to say this is another yeah. example. Like that whole monologue from uh, D is... Again, that's like something that looks good on the page, but uh, yes. unless you're a good actor, you don't pull off that whole monologue totally. about like dead president shit like that. You yes, know. Mm-hmm. it's very, yeah. it's it's uh, it's very writerly and and very like stylized, but he makes it work because he's just that good of an actor. Yeah, it's true, and like the the way he was able to deliver that line with enough authority that if you didn't actually know that Hamilton wasn't president, uh, you might be like, "Oh yeah, no, nah, he's probably right." Yeah, of course, yeah. like that's <laughs> I'm an idiot. That's, You're right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a lot of confidence. Um, but yeah, so um, um, Johnny, who was played by Leo Fitzpatrick, uh, who is uh, the guy from Kids. That's how I know him. <laughs> Uh, uh, trying to do the scam and getting his ass kicked. God, what and an absolute buffoon he is. He's too green. You know, yeah, he's mm-hmm. too green to run this scam. And uh, Bub's trying to make him brown. No, no, man, he won't fall out and slam his shit like that one of these days, boy. <laughs> Yo, man, I'm trying, to, see, I'm, I'm trying to give you a little game, man. But you want, you want to pretend like you know something. Y'all know a lot, Bub's. <laughs> Nah, nah, you you green. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get you. I'm trying to get you brown, man. But you you still green. Can I make me brown? <laughs> I love man. You couldn't give a cripple crab a crutch. <laughs> yeah, I love drug addicts because in a group of drug addicts, um, you do have always someone who is king drug addict. <laughs> Who's just like, let me teach you about this life. Who's <laughs> like, he's basically the character of Tim Meadows in Walk Hard, who's just constantly <laughs> telling you, you don't want no part of this shit. And it's just like, no, you clearly do. But that guy, he always is like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be your Sherpa through this, this life mm. of, uh, of, of getting high all the time. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're both just really, really high and homeless and living, you know, uh, squatting somewhere to do drugs. Um, yeah, so Johnny gets beat up and then um, Bubs gets uh, sad and he wants to take revenge. Um, finally, um, the detail. This brings both homicide and narcos together. Um, McNulty and Daniels are butting heads because Daniels has been told. You know, we're not doing DNRs. We're not doing wires. We're not doing stakeouts. This is going to be by bust. And uh, McNulty just straight up uh, tells Daniel that that will not work. And uh, I have a clip. You're not going to get Avon Barksdale or Stringer Bell or anyone else above the street. Not on street rips. You don't know that. These guys are good. What do you suggest? Surveillance teams. DNRs. Asset investigation. Keep gathering string till we can find a way in. Either wired CI or a Title Three. 
That's what makes this case. Is that what you told the judge? Okay, so I'm an asshole for that, but I'm right about this much. No mics, no wires. We do this fast and clean and simple. Then you don't do it at all. What the shit? I say we go down to the terrace and fuck some people up. <laughs> <laughs> the look on Thank you, her. The look on Daniels's face when uh, <laughs> when when McNulty just straight up says to his face, "Well, that's not gonna work." He's like, "What the fuck?" Like, the, yeah, yeah. I was like, "What the, the fuck is your problem?" Like the 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 narrowing of his eyes, like he's about to, he's a hawk about to like fucking catch a <laughs> gopher in his talons, is so terrifying. Oh, yes. <laughs> just goes full raptor and you're just like oh fuck don't get him mad um yeah like the just watching them have this back and forth where one person is just like but i'm in charge and the other one is just like yeah but i want to do it right and then herc's like how about this (laughs) let's just go down there just start beating some people's ass see what happens and then people are like yeah that's a great idea i i i love that so much um so then finally, uh, we end with McNulty and Bunk are at the bar drinking and talking about McNulty's divorce, which <laughs> lovely. Um, but they have this great scene together. Bunk and McNulty are drunk and Bunk is talking about how his wife made him drive home to get a mouse out of their house. And I, I have this clip uh, and I want to play it. It's, I think, my favorite moment on the show. So... I drive all the way down to Liberty Road at two in the damn morning. On the midnight shift, I got two murders and a police shooting going down to do what? Get a goddamn mouse out of my wife's bedroom closet. Can you imagine that shit? What did you do? What the fuck you think? I got the mouse out as fast as I could and drove back to work. Couldn't do nothing else. Hey, Dean, out of her fucking mind over this little ass field mouse. I mean, she's up on the chair and shit when I come like some goddamn cartoon. I mean, how did you catch the mouse? Catch him, I lit his ass up. You shot the mouse? Mm-hmm. You're nine? First shot killed my wife's dress shoe. Got him with the second. You shot a mouse with your service weapon? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do with the carcass? I cleaned it up, you know. What about leaving that little motherfucker there as a warning to the others, you know? <laughs> oh, just wonderful. Um... And in that very same scene, after telling that story, Jimmy goes to pee on some train tracks as the train is careening towards him and his dirty little Irish dick. <laughs> and um, and he tells him, you know what? Fuck it. I'm I'm going to do this case. And Bunk, that quickly sobers Bunk up, which is very funny after just telling a story <laughs> where he like literally uses service weapon to kill a mouse. He's just like, whoa, whoa, it's by butts, Jimmy. Like he's immediately like, don't do it. I'm going to do this case where it should be done. So buy a bus, Jimmy, get in and get out. Now fuck that. Jimmy. It's a, uh, it's a very funny moment where you realize that, uh, you know, they can break all the rules they want, uh, and that's, like, normal. But mm-hmm. if the rule you break is the chain of command, then everyone's like, yo, what are you – are you crazy? Yeah, you're going to fuck As this he, up for me, too, somehow. You're gonna, yes, yeah. You're going to ruin all of our lives if you try to do real police work right now. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, it's an amazing, an amazing moment, a little bit of a – you know, that story is a little bit of an art, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's just like, you know, that's uh, the show's got a lot of art. 
Um, and yeah, finally it ends with Bubbles in the hospital meeting with Kima, where it's very clear that Bubbles wants to uh, snitch for the police. And Bunk going down to a murder scene where he sees Willie Gant from the beginning of the episode, the state's witness who snitched at D'Angelo's trial, is lying dead with a bullet in his head, and D walks away sad. And that is the episode. That's what happens. And um, yeah, uh, favorite scene, least favorite scene, anything that I missed, you guys? Uh, nothing that you missed, but I really, I really do love the exchange about uh, you know shit rolling downhill and piss trickling. Like yeah, that that shows you that you know it may not have quite the comedic content of The Sopranos, but The Wire is also very funny when it wants to be. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, completely. Um, yeah. What about you, Brent? Uh, we already talked about this scene a little bit, but I want if we go back for a second to the the. The conversation that McNulty has with Rawls, especially after hearing that some people consider this show propaganda, like go back and watch that conversation again. Mm-hmm. He goes to his major who gets so mad at him for doing his job, casually drops an N word and then tells him to do all of his work for him. <laughs> and like no one, you know, and everyone is like, yeah, this is it. This is being a cop. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I that that scene was like I like I mentioned earlier, like really kind of changed how I was watching the show relative to how I watched it the first time from like a perspective of like, well, these are the cops and they're trying to stop drug dealers. So like I under, Mm -hmm. like I know the rules. These are the good Uh guys. These are the bad guys. And now watching it as an adult who's, you know, lived in uh, in the world now understands like, oh no, he's doing something very different here. And he's really, he's not holding your hand, but he's really laying it out that like most of these guys doing this job, they're bad Mm -hmm. guys. Yeah. They don't care. They want to. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a show with no good guys, and um, it's what makes it great. Like Seinfeld, yeah. Um, I would say, uh, you know, the 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 scene with the talking about the mouse that Bunk shot up is probably my favorite. Next to also this very small sequence where Rawls and uh, the other major are in the elevator. They're walking to the elevator. They're talking. Then they get into the elevator and they stop talking. And then as soon as the elevator opens back up, they walk and talk again. And it's because uh, the elevator has a camera. And uh, it basically, the, the elevator is wired. And these guys really hate wires. That's, yeah. Uh, and, hold on. Uh, I did. I'm sorry. I forgot. I remembered a scene that we didn't talk about that I loved, which is. Oh, when, go ahead. When McNulty goes to, to meet his FBI friend. And and he keeps yeah. saying he his FBI friend keeps calling him brother. He yeah, saying, and he keeps saying you give good case, brother. <laughs> that, yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I I really enjoy this thing. I actually have a, a, a clip of that. That's about three k or all on the table today. We followed all the way from New York. You up in New York on this? We could be. We're backing into some Dominicans up there. We could have a title three on them right now if we wanted. Wrong war, brother. Most of the squad's been transferred to counterterrorism. Uh oh! Ah. <laughs> We're back, baby! <laughs> it's time for Who Did 9 11? The segment where I ask a guest who did 9 11 at every reference to 9 11 on whatever show we're rewatching. Brent, real quick, who did 9 11? Uh, Charlie Wilson uh, did 9 <laughs> 11 by showing a group of uh, uh, people in the. That they could take down a world power if they just got some money and weapons from a different world power. So he kind of paved the way for ISIS. 
Oh shit! So Charlie Wilson's war was actually nine <laughs> eleven. Yeah, dude, that was his. <laughs> Damn, Tom yeah. Hanks did nine eleven. That's the big. You reveal. heard it here first, dude. That's uh, that's crazy because in that other movie he died on nine eleven. Oh, dude. I wonder if Forrest Wait. Gump had something to do with nine eleven. Probably. I'm sure that's in the sequel. Was the sequel written before nine eleven? The book. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, no, I, I, There's a I've book never... sequel that that takes it's <laughs> more recent and it covers a bunch of more recent historical events. I would love it. Uh, just Forrest Gump too, but it's his it's his son who has AIDS and he just <laughs> keeps he keeps causing 9-11s and like he keeps he does everything he does everything Forrest Gump did but backwards, so it makes everything worse instead of better. That's fun. <laughs> he teaches the flight uh, the yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> he teaches Muhammad Atta how to fly. Yeah. <laughs> he, no, it's like you he know gives how Bernie Madoff an idea. When Forrest Gump was on the talk show with uh, John Lennon and he gives him the idea for Imagine, it's like that, <laughs> but with Bin Laden. They're yeah. on they're on a yeah. panel together for some reason. Or it's it's like that, but with Gal Gadot, and she's like, he's like, you should do a, a video where your all your celebrity friends are singing Imagine. <laughs> Oh my god. Um yeah. Uh so my yeah, I think those are our favorites. Those are our least favorites. Those are the scenes that we missed. And I think it's time to uh ask the question that we've always wanted to ask um at every episode. If we had to give this a letter grade, what would you give this episode? Vince. Uh I'm gonna give this a eight and a half out of ten. Eight and a half out of ten. Okay, I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds, sounds like a B plus. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's 85%, which you round up to 88 for some reason. And that is, uh, as we all know, a solid B plus. Okay. Uh, Brent, what would you give this episode? If you could give it any sure. letter. Uh, I'm using a slightly different scale here. I'm using stars. Uh, mm, and I okay. would say out of five stars, I would give it, uh, 4.35 stars. Okay. Mm. All right. That's good. I think I would give this, yeah, I'm also doing a different um, uh, system. I'm doing it um, moons, um, which I think is like stars, but, you know, but rounder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would give it out of 100 moons, I give it about 87, 88 moons. Mm. So I think, yeah, altogether, solid B+. Plus. Solid B+, plus episode of the wire and a solid a plus episode of pod yourself Self the wire, wire. oh guys thank you for sticking around uh mm-hmm. for this very very long very first episode mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. our the wire rewatch podcast it'll very be shorter excited. once we fix our uh, supply chain issues what no yeah in fact you know it, it won't even be shorter why you guys like long we like long let's have fun um brent thank you for being our our first guest for for this podcast thanks for having me i had a great time where can people find you on the internet they can find me at brent flyberg on on twitter and instagram and if if they live in la they can come see me do i run a weekly comedy show in atwater village called comedy near me at Inovino. uh so come out any thursday it's a lot of fun check it out Patreon.com slash Frockcast, the $8 tier. Pod yourself a shout out. We'll still get you a 
shout out on this show. Of course, now that we're not doing gangster names uh, for New Jersey gangsters, now we're doing Baltimore gangster names. We don't have any names this week because obviously we just started this, but go to patreon.com slash broadcast, sign up for our $8 tier, pod yourself a shout out, and uh, we'll give you a name like Snot Boogie or Herc or fucking, I don't know, uh, McNutty. Stinkum. You know? Stinkum, Poot, Bodie, you know, String. There's a lot of nicknames on this show. So patreon.com slash broadcast. Also, you get bonus episodes. Those are the episodes where Vince and I just talk about everything. The Frogcast. It's a great show. Check it out. Frogcast at gmail.com for all your questions, comments, and concerns. Vince, what is the Google Voice number? 4152750030. All right, everyone. Thanks again so much for listening. And if you're going to come at the king, you best not miss. I don't know. Is that is that how is that? I, I don't know. How, what what's my ending line, guys? Hmm. Uh, yeah, that sounds good. I don't okay. know. We'll we'll workshop it. Yeah, let me think about that. Yeah, we'll think about it. All right, bye. Wires. The wire. Yeah. Wire podcast. The world's only wire podcast. Yeah, bitch, this is a show about The Wire, and it's also about putting out some fires. It's about war on drugs and the war on terror. It's about lots of things, but it's also about cool guys who sell drugs to their friends and their thugs, and everybody seeing all the things going on, and no one doing nothing. And no one's ever gonna win And the war won't end Till everyone tries heroin About schools And people who work at the docks And people who teach in schools And the newspaper guys at the end And also about drug dealers And also about drug users And also about McNulty Getting a divorce from his wife
sucky, 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 fucky, sucky, 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 fucky, sucky, 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 Oh, right. One more thing. Um, I bet you're wondering, where's the Bada Bee stories? Well, they're not called Bada Bee stories. On this podcast, they are Balta Bee stories or Balmer Bee stories, depending on how I'm feeling. And I'm going to do them as much as I can. Because here's the thing. I have a baby coming, so I don't know necessarily if I'm going to be able to do it every episode, but I'm going to do it. Um, And these uh, first few ones that are going to be coming out are all going to be from various Baltimore bands that I really, really like. So this first one is by the uh, Baltimore band Animal Collective. So sorry, everyone who doesn't like Animal Collective, but for all three of you who do, hey, enjoy.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.